our working lives have been dramatically affected by this pandemic and that can't but impact our mental health. So whether you're working from home, currently unemployed or experiencing job insecurity, how can you mind your mental health and adapt to changing circumstances? Hello, it's so nice to chat to you again. So much has happened since last we spoke. And before we get into today's chat, I just want to have a word about Level 5 and our anxiety or upset that we may all be feeling about it. I mean, I think, to be honest, we're all feeling it to a greater or lesser extent. So, I mean, really, I just wanted to remind you that, you know, there is a bank of advice there in the UOK podcast feed that you can dip in and out of at any time for a bit of support and reassurance. The podcast, of course, started during the first lockdown, so there's plenty of good stuff there around anxiety, feeling fed up, managing our fight or flight, struggling with change, boredom, all of it. There's loads in there that I think really will prove helpful for any of us at the moment. Today, we're focusing on work, the role it plays in our overall well-being, the challenges of continuing to work from home, the anxiety of being unemployed or, you know, just unsure about your working future. There's a lot to unpack and discuss and I'm really delighted to be joined by three women with lots of practical advice and different perspectives to share on working in a pandemic. I'm joined by Louise O'Leary, who's a registered occupational therapist and advocacy manager at St. Patrick's Mental Health Services. Barbara Brennan is coordinator at Sea Change of the National Mental Health Stigma Reduction Partnership. And Dr. Nuala Whelan is a postdoctoral researcher at Maynooth University Social Science Institute. And she's also a chartered work and organisational psychologist. We'll start, though, with Louise, who's going to give us a sense of how our working lives can impact our mental health, generally speaking. Right. So work is recognised as one of the the key social determinants of our mental health. So what that means is one of the conditions in our lives and the environments we live in that can influence our mental health for, for good or for bad. Generally, work is seen as good for us, where we have good working conditions. Um, it's also a really important part of recovery from uh, mental health difficulties. So getting work or returning to existing employment uh, is really important part of mental health recovery. It can really support recovery. Conversely, then, I know Nuala is going to touch on this, but long term unemployment is a particular risk factor for uh, developing mental health difficulties Um, and also where working conditions are poor or risky or there's inflexible sort of uh, hours, we're more likely to see a negative impact on our mental health. But most often it's sort of an interplay between ourselves as individuals, the kind of fit we have with the job and the environment in that will determine um, how it can impact our, our mental health. The pandemic, like it's had a significant impact on almost every facet of our lives, but the shift in our work lives has been really pronounced for most people. Do you have a sense, Nuala, of how working from home, for example, is affecting us positively and negatively so far? Yeah, well, I suppose there's a lot of research, uh, you know, being conducted kind of rapidly over the last 10 months or so, really looking at this. Some of the positive things, I suppose, to start with, maybe people feel a little bit more autonomy in terms of their work and being able to maybe manage their work themselves, um, maybe kind of greater freedom in how they conduct their work and how they pace their work. Uh, You know, and people also feel a bit more motivated when they have greater autonomy. Um, They feel less stressed 
and so on. There's also a sense that people feel more trusted by their employers uh, and this can be very motivating for employees when they feel trusted and valued. And I think this has been one of the kind of significant things in terms of kind of the future of work and maybe the you know, the possibility of people working from home more often has always been this kind of sense of, you know, can I really trust my employee to work as well and be as productive from uh, a place that's not their traditional place of work or their office? Um, so that's, you know, that's quite positive that some of these maybe fears had been, um, you know, decreased in terms of perceptions of how people work at home. But there's also been quite a few negatives um, and I suppose the, one of the, the key negative feelings, and I think any of us who are working from home will feel that sense of isolation, uh, that we're not in our normal workplace with our colleagues, uh, with the normal breaks and the normal chat, maybe at lunchtime, you know, in the kitchen or people talking about what they did at the weekend or where they're going on holidays or, you know, significant things uh, that, that people talk and they, they share uh, in work with their colleagues. Um, there was a very interesting study carried out in the UK by the Institute of Employment Studies and they found that a third of employees felt feelings of isolation, that people then were also kind of unhappy. Half of the, the sample that they looked at um, felt that they were unhappy with their work-life balance. So this kind of, you know, seeping of work into uh, our, our, our normal lives at home and when people have caring responsibilities and other, you know, other things that they're involved in outside of work, um, that there was this sense that work was kind of, they were finding it difficult to get that balance. Uh, where does work stop and the rest of my life start? Um, so this kind of sense of work becoming fragmented in many ways that people were often doing irregular work hours. So maybe trying to work around caring responsibilities. Uh, so not the traditional routine that they would have had and they, that they would have got used to. So these kinds of routines and, you know, help us feel secure in our in our workplace. So when when that's kind of broken down, uh, that feeling of security can really uh, increase our levels of of stress, I suppose, and anxiety. And that resulted in 40% of the population uh, in this study by the IES feeling that they were not calm or relaxed in their working day. So while there's a mixture of positive and negative feelings, many employees, I suppose, are, and we're hearing a lot in the media about the kind of negativities of uh, working from home and how that's made people feel. And also, I think people have felt that, you know, most employers haven't really maybe touched base with their employees about how they're feeling in work. Mm. <laughs> it seems to be more about the, you know, the work and the tasks that they're being asked to do. A lot of Zoom meetings and, you know, trying to put in place new ways of connecting and working, but very little focus in on, on how people are actually feeling. I'm always conscious when we talk about employers, like employers are also people just trying to work out how to do this thing that we're all trying to work out how to do. Like it's all... Um, Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, it's tricky. And I think as, as it progresses, you know, uh, you know, as the pandemic progresses, that these are the kinds of things, you know, if we are going to be working from home on a longer, you know, in the mm. longer term, that these are maybe some of the strategies that we need to start thinking about in terms of making sure that people can maintain you know, good mental health yeah. uh, when working from home or working outside of the office. I'm conscious that like many of many of us are experiencing some of those negative aspects that you just spoke about, Nula. And like Barbara, in your work, can you give us a flavour of what some of the supports are that employers have already or can put in place to support 
their staff members and people that working for them. Absolutely. And I think some of the, the points that have already been made are really important to, to go back to, you know, the idea of checking in and having a conversation. That's one of the biggest things that I've seen and certainly that I would recommend is the idea of actually having a conversation. But it's how we do that. And very definitely looking at having more uh, more check-ins um, and also checking in sometimes how the check-in should be. So for some people, it might be a team video call for some people it might be a phone call because maybe um as Nula mentioned you know they're maybe they're zoomed out you know maybe they maybe they've so many video meetings that actually adding another one isn't helpful mm. so sometimes it's not just the what we do but how we do it um, and again then checking in from a team perspective can I connect my team with the other parts of the organisation so so that we can change that piece around feeling isolated and feeling very, very separate from our colleagues. In my organisation, one of the things we've started to do is having um, external team meetings with the other teams and finding out what are they doing. So that way it gives us a fresh idea outside of the specific tasks that we have that maybe another team inside the organisation is doing something that we might be able to use. Um, and again, going back to Nula's point about the freedom and the autonomy, and the pace that we work at, asking people what's working for them. We've seen a big um, um, jump in the, the EAP services, so that's employee assistance programmes, and that's looking at having an external support of being able to reach out and have a conversation, whether that's in a counselling form or whether it's just looking for advice. And a lot of organisations don't realise that there is managerial support through a lot of the EAP programmes in addition to um, family support. So sometimes your family may be covered by the service. So it's about how do we get that information out? So one of the, one of the other things that we have seen and would always recommend is the communication. So are you regularly sending out information about what's available, what's happening, what has happened up to now? Um, and, and recognising the work that has been done. So in that what's happening and what's happened, what have you done? What have you contributed to? What does that look like? How does that come about? And how can we shout about the good things? And then looking at what training and webinars are available, what updates are there? And certainly one of the things that I do with my team is we have a team cup a couple of times a week and we're not allowed to talk about work. We're not allowed to talk about COVID. It's just a human check-in. also conscious that like we're we're almost nine months into this and some of us have adapted work practices to suit the current reality but some of us and I would put myself in this second column just kind of band-aided a solution over it because we kind of never really expected to be dealing with this for this long so Nula I'm wondering can you share some practical tips with us for putting structures in place that help avoid sort of work bleeding into our everyday lives? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think Louise um, alluded to a few of them there. Just, I suppose, you know, at this stage, we're a good few months into the situation. And I don't think really any of us expected maybe to be back in level five again, at, you know, so soon. Yeah. We've adapted, I think, um, many of us and tried to make make the best uh, of what we have uh, in order to be able to conduct our work. So one of the, I suppose, the three kind of key things I would suggest, um, the first one is space. And when I say space, I mean both your mental space and your physical space. So trying to, you know, reflect on any times that you're starting to feel maybe overwhelmed by tasks or by Zoom or by, you know, any of the mm -hmm. things that we've been asked to do and trying to get a balance uh, in your mental space about how you're going to conduct your work. Um, but also trying to get a balance 
uh, you know, in terms of some of those sounds <laughs> that Louise <laughs> mentioned, um, you know, maybe if you have a partner or housemates or whoever working in the same space as you trying to fit that into your mental space so that mm. you're not being distracted maybe too much by it or, or, you know, or trying to get the sounds around you that are helping you to work better. And then also your physical space. So try to designate an area of space that you can work. And I know that can be difficult for, for some people you know, I have children. So one of the things I do is I put a sign on the door if I if I have to deliver a lecture or, you know, anything that I'm doing, uh, they know not to come in the inside in the door yeah. into the room when that sign is on the door, mm. uh, because otherwise, you know, then you're getting quite stressed by the possibility of it happening, <laughs> I suppose. Um, but, you know, so try to plan that out and talk to to other people in your house that you're sharing your house with about what's going, you know, what can work for you mm. and then try to get yourself into a, a routine um, and, you know, if you can, as much as possible, even continue the previous work routines you may have had. Maybe you went and got a takeaway coffee on the way to work or whatever. Try and continue some of that so that you're, you, you know, when work starts, you know, you've done that bit in the morning time. You've dropped your kids to school or you've gone for a walk or you've got your coffee and then start work um, and try to keep regular breaks throughout the day. Tr- keep a structure on your day. Um, take your lunch break, regular breaks away from the screen because it can be so all, you know, all consuming mm. if you're in front of a screen all day and it can be quite fatiguing as well. If if you have to make phone calls, maybe go for a walk and do the phone call or move to a different part of the house or the apartment, you know, so that you're kind of normally in work, maybe you would have gone to a colleague's desk to ask them a question. So try and just get up and replicate some of those um, routine type activities that you would have done previously. Um, and then stop working at an appropriate time. You know, it's very easy to keep going. You're you're in the middle of something and say, oh, just keep going for another hour on this. And all of a sudden it's seven o'clock or yeah. it's eight o'clock. And then the, the last thing really is maintain contact. And I think we've spoken about that already, but try and keep that link with your colleagues. Um, or one of the things I've tried to do, I have neighbours who don't work in the same organisation as me, but we try to meet at lunchtime, go for for a walk, some, oh, you know, lovely. on some days if it's possible. So try and do things like that where you're maintaining contact either with your work colleagues or with other people who are also working. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, <laughs> complain to them maybe about, you know, or just get it off your chest, things that have gone wrong or right. I'm just wondering, Louise, you know, where there's some general things that we need to keep doing for ourselves to protect our mental health heading into the winter. Thankfully, mental health has not been absent from the discussion since the beginning of the lockdown. So lots, there's been lots of attention to it, which I think is, is um, hopefully one of the positive outcomes we can bring forth that it's, you know, it's a central part of life that we always need to be aware of. Um, mm. So staying connected, which has been mentioned, I think, by all of us in, in various ways but might need a little bit more um, attention and planning, you know, where we've been maybe able to meet people outdoors more, that that mightn't be as available to us, say, in the evenings and things like that. So thinking about how you can stay connected to people while physically distancing. Um, and then all the other things that we know support our mental health, getting fresh air when you can, getting keeping moving, getting exercise, and maybe needing to think about how you're going to do that over the winter. So if you were going for walks in the evening and you're less inclined to do that in the dark make sure you get out earlier in the day copy new lango for walk at lunch i think being mindful of the basics is really really important um and again it goes back to that idea of keeping consistent routines and thinking about what helps to regulate us over the day so not neglecting things like your shower in the morning you know making sure to to change to day clothes and punctuate the day maybe by changing out of um your work clothes even if they've become less formal than 
they normally would be, you know, keeping that punctuation with the day, eating regularly and really attending to to sleep, making sure you're getting a good sleep routine, trying to limit the amount of maybe stress-inducing information you are taking in while staying informed as well. Obviously, we all need to stay informed and making sure that information is from reliable sources. And, you know, I think what's important to recognise as well is that pandemic isn't the only thing going on in the world at the moment. And I know I've been having to limit exposure to other news. I can't even say the person's name at the minute, but, you know, what's happening over the water is really stressful. so you know just being mindful of the effect of that and and I guess that leads me into to one final key point which is about trying to take an attitude of compassion and kindness to yourself and to others and recognizing you know this year has not been ideal (laughs) we're all likely a bit worn out and um you know not at our most productive and that's okay and we might need more rest and we might need to have a bit more patience with and others be they strangers or family members um, and finally sorry as well just not to delay getting help or reaching out for support or letting people know if you're struggling uh, whether that's a family member or a more formal um, support like the employee assistance programs that, um, that Barbara mentioned. But Barbara I want to bring you in here because you're heavily invested in challenging mental health stigma and workplaces can often be spaces where stigmatising language or behaviours can go unchallenged sometimes and I'm just wondering can you talk to us a little bit about how the kind of culture we work in whether we're physically there or not can prevent us from asking for help and also you know the role that we all play in fostering a more mentally healthy work culture particularly at the moment when we're not all physically in the one space. But I think before we even get into that um, that part of it, we need to understand what the culture is in our workplace. We need to understand the, the participation that we have in it. So really, it's about you know what we think about and what we what we do, but also what we don't think about and what we don't do. It's still happening. So it's this idea that culture is something that happens to you or because of you. And I think when we can understand that we are part of our culture, whether we engage with it or not, that starts giving us some level of engagement, some level of power, some level of feeling connected to it. Whereas quite often we we get this idea that, you know, I work for a company and it's kind of me and them when actually, you know, we are them. We are the representative of the company. We are part of the company and the company wouldn't be anything without its employees. So it's about firstly understanding what culture is and then starting to look at, okay, so if we look at a culture, what does open culture mean or what does closed culture mean? And then when we start adding stigma to that, it's it just changes it again. So when we're looking at open culture, that's the kind of place where I can go to work and I can feel like I can have a bad day and it's okay for me to acknowledge that. It's okay for me not to mask it. It's okay for me not to hide it. So I can show up and just get on with my work and possibly check in with my boss or with, you know, another colleague if it's not if it's not my boss. If there's somebody else that I can check in with, that's okay. I don't have to spill my guts. It's not about uh, having a culture that's open and we share every single detail, but it's about me not feeling like I have to hide. That is the first part and it's huge. The way that we we uh, live it and show it, I suppose, is going back to those human check-ins, this idea of if I regularly lead the way and if I regularly drop these little crumbs, if you like, that, you know, I'm having check-ins on a regular basis. If we can start doing those things, when it then gets to the difficult things, it means that if my team know that on a, a regular day, if there's a problem, they can come to me, they will then know and hopefully do the same if there is a problem.
I just want to move on now. You mentioned it there, Barbara, about, about unemployment. And I think it is one of the hardest aspects of this experience has been the amount of jobs that have been lost, the businesses that have folded, the people who are in a constant state of anxiety over losing their jobs. Will their job still be here in six months? Nuala, you've done a lot of research in this area and I'm just wondering, you know, how does unemployment and job insecurity impact on our mental health generally? I think since the start of the pandemic, there's been about, you know, about one and a half million people have been impacted in terms of either layoffs or job losses, temporary closures, reduced working hours. Um, So it's over half of the labour force has been impacted in some way. And, you know, the kind of the feelings then that that brings around your job security um, really can have a quite a stressful impact on us when we think about whether our jobs are still going to be there in a few months' time. At the moment, um, the unemployment rate is 5.4%, but when you bring in all of the people who are receiving the pandemic unemployment payment, it brings it up to about just under 15%. Um, and I heard yesterday that that has increased again up to about 300,000 people now in receipt of the pandemic unemployment payment. And unfortunately, a significant number of that uh, group of people are under 25. So the unemployment rate for the under 25s is it's about 36%, which is really unbelievable, uh, t- to be honest, oh, at the height yeah. of the financial crisis, that was around 31% at the very height mm. of uh, the unemployment crisis. You know, we're talking about big numbers, but but the numbers are kind of fluctuating up and down all the time. You know, women have been hit quite significantly in terms of that grouping, uh, low-skilled workers, younger workers, and then particular sectors such as hospitality, retail, transport. So, you know, we can kind of see who the, the, the people are that are really being being quite affected. Um, But I suppose just in terms of unemployment itself, there are real health and societal impacts of unemployment. Um, We know that, you know, work brings with it financial rewards for people, time structure, uh, social contact. We've talked a lot about that, but it also brings opportunities for skill development, challenges in our everyday lives, using our abilities and our strengths. And it provides us with physical and mental activity on a daily basis. So we think about when we work, we we work something like 85,000 hours in our lifetime. So it's a lot of time is spent there. (laughs) Um, So when that's taken away, when all of those benefits that work bring us are taken away, it can lead to, I suppose, practically, I suppose, financial difficulties, but also things like skill depletion. So, you you know, if you're not using your skills every day, they start to kind of fade. Um, But also um, some of the things that Barbara mentioned about kind of stigma associated with being unemployed and also our own perceptions of ourselves as being unemployed or falling into that category. And all of this then contributes to feelings of lower levels of well-being. And often the effects can be multiple. So while they might feel lower levels of well-being, lower levels of motivation, they can also feel a loss of confidence and maybe distress. And we all experience, I suppose, unemployment differently. And often other factors like like age, gender, race, uh, you know, caring responsibilities, Mm. access to transport, all of these variables also then impact on our sense of hopefulness, I suppose, about getting another job. It can be quite distressing for people. And I'd often, you know, I worked in employment services for many years and you kind of see it like a roller coaster ride. You know, people, you know, maybe lose their job and they're quite angry initially and distressed about it. And then there's maybe a sense, you know, they reflect and try to say, okay, well, I'm going to start looking for another job Um, and a sense of hopefulness then maybe comes with that. But then if they're not getting those interviews, there's a kind of a dip again. So this kind of dipping 
up and down of, of emotions and, and feelings associated with trying to get back to your your normal state of employment. And I suppose at the moment, you know, that many people would have emigrated in the past um, or had, you know, opportunities to look for other jobs. And that's not possible right now. We're kind of in a, a stage of just you know, kind of hanging, yeah. <laughs> you know, hanging on a on a level, waiting. Um, and I know there's some research around youth unemployment and they've called it a state of waithood where people are literally just waiting on their lives to start uh, start up again. And I think the important thing to remember, I suppose, is that the job loss that we're experiencing at the moment is as a result of the pandemic. Uh, most job loss, I mean, the yeah. unemployment rate had come down quite low um, prior to this. Um, you know, and there's a sense that our economy is is quite resilient. Um, so, so kind of keeping that in your mind that it will pass. Um, it's kind of a state of it, just a state related to the pandemic at the moment. Yeah. Um, and that many people, especially people on the pandemic unemployment payment or people who have their hours have been reduced, they will go back to their old jobs. Uh, that there is a sense of hope there that people will get those jobs back. While while it might feel quite hopeless at the moment, that we have to kind of remember that that it's a very specific yes. <laughs> type of unemployment. Um, I'm conscious Barbara Nula alluded to it briefly there about, you know, the stigma and we often like unemployment and job loss, you know, there are often things we don't talk about. And I'm interested in your perspective, given the nature of your work on how, you know, we can challenge that and support those in our community experiencing this. Like if somebody knows somebody who's lost their job and they're doing, as you described, the whole thing of going through, because I don't know what to say to that person and ignoring them. Not a great idea. What what kinds of things can you sort of tips can you give to people in supporting somebody in their community or in their friend group? It's such an important point. And I think the biggest thing when we look at stigma is the silence and exactly what you said there about somebody not reaching it and saying, I don't know what to say. And I think when we when we put it in the context of if I if I decide that I um, have realised that you're out of work and I don't want to say the wrong things, I don't want to upset you or I don't want to talk about my work. And I decide, you know what, I was I was going to call Jan, but actually I might wait, I might wait until next week. I, I'll, I'll see how she's doing and I'll check in then. What we're not talking about is what's on TV. We're not talking about the weather. We're not talking about, you know, what's happening in America. We're not talking about anything. And that's one of the things that we see the biggest impact is the silence that stigma creates. And what that does is that really builds on that isolation piece and the feeling of uh, feeling excluded. So really, when we look at how do we how do we do that? How do I reach out? So it's about reaching out and understanding your discomfort rather than theirs. Or sometimes that the discomfort is on both sides. So how can I bridge that gap? Sometimes it might be just lifting the phone and having a conversation and starting with the weather or with, you know, the elections or whatever it is that's going on or, you know, the very normal stuff. And that can lead to, again, this idea of the open culture. If I regularly check in and I regularly show up, it means that at a time when somebody might need to have a different conversation, it could be difficult. They know they can talk to me because I've been there all along. Whereas if I am not having those conversations, there is no likelihood that they're going to talk about something difficult with me. Mm. And the thing about the inclusion piece is actually it's the antidote to isolation. And going back to Louise's point earlier about kindness, I think it is so underrated. It's shocking. When we feel that something has happened and we feel that somebody doesn't care or we feel that they are being unkind, quite often that's the worst part of it, that we are being treated less than for some reason. Mm -hmm. So at a time when somebody is feeling very low already, we're now going to hit them with, you know, I thought they were my friend and they haven't even rung me in 
three or four weeks and God, now yeah. it's awkward and I don't know if I can lift the phone to them. So it's more important now than ever that we start having conversations and saying to each other, you know what, how are you doing? And just listening, because really that is the biggest thing that we can do to allow somebody to feel heard in the moment that they are struggling. There are ways in which people experience un- experiencing unemployment. You know, they, there are ways to use the time positively, purposefully, meaningfully for themselves, Nuala. Can you tell us a bit about some of those practices? I think the first thing really is, you know, that people should maybe firstly try and make sure financially that they're okay and that there's a lot of help that you can get from MABS or, you know, other organisations, Citizens Information will be able to advise as well. Just to to give people that peace of mind that, um, you know, that they're financially, that they're okay. Um, But also then to try and see, you know, as I mentioned before, the temporary nature of unemployment and to try and get that perspective on on your situation right now, that it is going to be a a temporary type of thing. Um, Keep your routine going um, if you can, you know, trying to maintain a routine. Uh, So don't get caught up in the lying in bed or, you know, ending up watching Netflix or something like that all day. But try to keep a routine uh, exercise, uh, uh, you know, as normal. And that will help you kind of keep well in yourself. But take the time as well then to maybe review your career, you know, to think about your skills that you've developed, your strengths. You know, what are you good at? What would people describe you? You know, if they were to describe you in the workplace, what kind of words would they use to describe you? So what are those strengths and what are your values? You know, have you been happy in the organisations you've worked for? Are they, you know, sit with your values and your belief system or is it time for a change you know, what have you liked and disliked about work previously? So trying to pull out the, the things that interest you and that, that you like doing. And then to try and think about, you know, what your ambitions, uh, you know, is had you an ambition five or six years ago that you maybe had forgotten about and mm. start to think about maybe, well, could I start to pursue that ambition or what's my career vision? And all of these, this kind of thinking can help you to build a sense of hope um, and to see the value and build your confidence in yourself. And there's a lot of support also out there available to people. I know you, you want to touch on that maybe later on, mm. but, you know, to help you think through some of these things, um, but also then to maybe try and get your CV up to date, those kind of practical things, yeah. um, but also tell people that you are looking for a job. Often we don't tell people, we don't use our social contacts or our network to kind of get the word out there that, I have all these skills uh, and I really need to let people know that I'm actually looking for a job. And most people even still uh, use their social contacts to progress in terms of their career. I just want to ask each of you, I'm always really interested when I speak to experts in their field. How do you mind your mental health? Like, I'd love if each of you would maybe share one of your fail-safe core coping behaviours or practices that's helped you over the last few months. I might begin with, with yourself, Louise. But I do a lot of things. <laughs> I do a lot of things. I'm heavily invested in my own self-care. And I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say it. But, <laughs> but one thing that's really uh, been helping me out since um since March, I guess, has been just doing small bits of online yoga, which isn't something I would have done before. I would have dabbled in yoga classes, but I've been doing it really consistently, consistently and just small little videos. And I really like it because it's sort of achievable for me. It's realistic that I'll do 20 minutes as opposed to, say, going for a jog or something. Mm. Um, And I can kind of do a search according to how I'm feeling. So you can like look for, you know, 
bedtime yoga (laughs) or you can look for you know like yoga for stretching or back pain or whatever Um, and I find that's really helpful just to help me physically and also kind of mentally feel grounded and just take a bit of a time out and not be thinking about anything other than the the yoga. Barbara what about you? I think for me it's it's touching off um, points that both uh, Nila and Louise have made you know certainly looking at uh, on days when if I'm feeling overwhelmed the temporary nature of it and if I go back and I see a time when it was really difficult then I can go okay I've changed from then I can see the movement because right now I can't see the movement from where I am to where I'm going to go but I can see what's behind me. So I find that helpful. Um, and again, then the, the piece about routine and incorporating those those pieces like the basic things or like yoga practices and those, you know, for me, having had severe illness in my life, it was the basic things that helped me get well, you know, eating, sleeping, drinking water. And, um, you know, I was talking to you the other day and we were talking about how we sleep deprive ourselves so that we can watch uh, Netflix. It's used as a form of torture and or and has been and we do it to ourselves so it's about those pieces um and i suppose the one i would add for me it's the fake it till you make it on the days that i really don't feel like it and here's the thing we all wait for motivation motivation does not always show up so it's about creating momentum and the momentum will bring the motivation so for me i don't feel like going for a walk get your shoes on and get out do it for five (laughs) minutes if you still don't want to when you're five minutes out, come back. That's fine. You tried. But yeah. five minutes in, I'm doing it and I'm going, actually, I'm kind of enjoying it. Yeah, it's so true about the motivation. If you wait for it, it just does not show up. <laughs> like Nula, what about what about you? Well, I, I try to do, uh, I, I drop my daughter to school every day. So I try to do a, a half an hour walk. I just I drop her off and I go for a walk and I get a takeaway coffee on my way back. And that really sets me up for the day, I have to say. <laughs> I actually miss it on days where my husband offers to bring my daughter to school. I'm kind of like, oh no, I really want to do it. But I was on a, just a simple trick. I was on a, a a conference a conference the other day and uh, the speaker was saying that the superhero pose you know that the superman or the superwoman pose where you stand hands on your hips uh, legs kind of spread a little bit apart head up high that even standing like that and there's a lot of research I think from from Harvard I think but maybe don't quote me on that but (laughs) uh, showing that standing in that pose can really help to kind of lift your your mood your your feeling of you can do it Uh, And to start maybe looking at achieving small goals, but just even doing that for a minute or two a day can really, really help. And I've tried it and it definitely works. I was just going to say, I've been I've been secretly doing that before meetings and presentations (laughs) ever since um, a mentor told me about it. And if anyone wants to learn more about it, there's a really good TED talk. Amy Cuddy is the social psychologist who did the research on it. So I completely back up Nula there with that one. That's a great strategy. I do feel a little bit like you're here with your Harvards and your TED Talks. I first heard of that in Grey's Anatomy and I think both of you did too, but you're just too, you know, <laughs> too sophisticated to say. <laughs> um, I, there's a lot of supports available to people at the moment and, you know, sometimes it can be hard to know where the where's the right place or the best place to go depending on your individual situation. So we're going to finish up. I'm going to ask each of you just to talk about one or maybe two supports that, that you'd recommend. Louise, I'll, I'll begin with you. Um, we do on sympatrics.ie we have listed out a, a big range of mental health support and information lines. sympatrics.ie is the website um, so you can get information on, for example, carers, support groups online, uh, for younger people, for young people, young LGBTI people. So th- 
there's there's heaps out there um, and if you want to find a good range of them that's there the other thing i'd suggest is um gov.ie forward slash together which has lots of information for all age ranges on tips to, on how to cope and support your mental health at the moment and it also provides the contact numbers for the community response forums which are still ongoing and, and available yeah very important thanks for, for flagging that Barbara what about you um, my first go to will always be your mental health.ie um, because like Louise I like things that lots of things are in one place that is um, uh, a website that has county by county information and it shows it shows all of the services that are available so it's your mental health.ie I highly recommend it I'd also recommend that you look at it in advance on a day when you're just having a cup of coffee and you're doing fine so that you know what it is and you can maybe take note of one or two that might be in your area so that when you need it it's there instead of panicking on the day and kind of go oh my god what's it what was the name of that website and lastly then i'll give you um uh, a booklet that we actually created in the last couple of months and we launched it on the 10th of september um it's a new reality living with covid19 a pocket guide to returning to the workplace while I say returning to the workplace, you don't have to be in a workplace to be able to use this booklet. What it looks at is, uh, you know, what is mental health? What is stress? What is anxiety? And specifically anxiety in COVID-19. And then there are some specific pieces around the supportive conversations that we need to have relation to stigma and language, but particularly the tips and tools about how do I reduce anxiety if I'm feeling if I'm feeling um, worried about self-isolating and those, what are the specific tips I can do? So that's available from our website. It's downloadable um, and that's right. at seachange.ie. And we can also um, send some out so you can get, go to, get onto the website and drop us, a, drop us an email and we can send some out to you as well. Brilliant, Barbara. Thanks for that. And finally, Nula, what supports would you recommend? Yeah, well, maybe more related to unemployment, um, I think that, you know, there's local employment services, there's 24 local employment services around the country and they normally have the upper sign outside their door and they're a community-based organisation that that support people who are unemployed or who are having work-related issues, you know, so always a good point, you know, starting point. Also the local intrio offices, so the Department of Social Protection or the Employment Affairs and Social Protection, it's their public office um, and you'll see them all over the country, they're in every town. And the local education and training board colleges, so the ETBs, they all have guidance counsellors working um, in their services and they can definitely support people if they want to start considering other options in terms of their careers. Uh, Citizens Information, also an excellent website full of information, up-to-date information. But also just to note that um, Minister Harris yesterday um, announced 14,000 free and subsidised higher education places. And some good websites then, Mm careersportal.ie and Qualifax are very good, you know, for helping you kind of think out your career and think about your strengths. And they have some nice tools that you can use online to, to help you you know figure out maybe if, if you're not already sure of what your interests and in, in the workplace are you know those websites are very good as well there are some brilliant and really varied supports there and i think you know barbara's point about checking them out when you don't really need them is actually brilliant advice because you know in the fog of fear we just don't take as much in like when you're really just in the thick of it it is harder to spend the time, even just to spend the time concentrating and reading the information. So I think that's a great a great tip to familiarise yourself with those resources just at a time when things are going kind of OK. I also just wanted to quickly mention business owners who've had to close their doors or who are struggling and people who are currently out of work. 
really, it's just that I want to say, like, I know you're really in it right now. And I know it's beyond frustrating, upsetting, frightening. So really, I just want to acknowledge that and to say that I know no amount of breathing or walking or meditating is going to fix this for you. But as we have often said here before with various guests, like the aim isn't to fix it, it's to weather it, it's to get through it, it's to get out the other side. So please, as Louise mentioned in our chat at the outset, if you need supports, reach out now. You know, don't wait. Thanks again for joining me for the chat today. I'll be back again next month when we'll be discussing loneliness. And in the meantime, mind yourself. The OK podcast is created and edited by Paul Moriarty and me, Jan Nilianagon. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in the podcast, you can access helpline information at rte.ie forward slash support.